0: My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln.
1: Fresh off of a big test at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Devin Kupka, Dan Elliott, and I talk about that. We also talk about the Brandon Brown latest controversy in the Xfinity Series and NASCAR overruling some sponsorship, along with silly season news involving Ryan Priest and Matt DiBenedetto. This is 5 to Go.
2: They arrested me and they put me in
1: jail and called my papa to throw my bail. He said, Son, you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Rod. Lincoln. Lincoln. All right, we are back on the cold saddle, the freezing iron horse, but once we get into the cocoon of this race car, that horsepower is warming up the insides, no matter if it's a 510, 550, or heck, 950 package. Doug Turnbull, and welcome to episode 160 of the 5 to Go Racing Podcast, here right on WSPradio.com and GoPRN.com. Happy 2022 to everybody. I've got Devin Kupka and Dan Elliott on, and I'm not making this up, fellas. Because we do our little pre-meeting before this. When I said happy 2022, the timer said 20 minutes, 22 seconds. How about that, Dan Elliott? Don't you love that?
3: That couldn't be
1: programmed any better if you planned it. It's, It's unintentional back timing, if you will. Unintentional serendipity, of course, folks. Dan Elliott, if you're tuning in the first time or haven't been in a long time, he is the master mechanic out of Dawsonville in the mountains where a lot of stock car racing was born. Big-time member of the Melling Racing, Elliott Family Racing team there. Still working on transmissions and making things go fast today. And we're glad to have you on, brother. And also joining us on, another man who lives up and coming, goes to School in Dahlonegas. He's right there on the 400 corridor next to Dan, sophomore at University of North Georgia. And attending the Atlanta Motor Speedway test with me, young Devin Kupka. How you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing
0: great. Going to the tire test yesterday, kicking off the new year right with the next-gen car.
1: That's a great way to... That's a great way to celebrate the start of the year, Devin. And what I want to do here in this episode, and I hope this is not too much tedium for you all listening, but remember how much controversy there was back in July? People with their heads on fire about Atlanta deciding a new direction for what's now a 62 year old track. And it's been through repayments and some reconfigurations before. Some would argue that what's happened at Atlanta Motor Speedway is not technically a reconfiguration. It's still a mile-and-a-half track, still has a dog-legged straightaway. But, guys, Atlanta Motor Speedway has, it not only did they make it official back in July, and as soon as they started moving dirt right after that race, as you remember, Devin, they added four degrees of banking in the turns. They narrowed the racing groove by a few feet, although it's still a similar length to a lot of tracks that the series goes to and races two and three wide. They have changed the front straightaway. In some ways, the racing groove is narrow, but they've paved it out more toward the infield, so cars can technically, if there's not a double yellow line rule, go four or so wide, or maybe more, as they come to the start-finish line. They're, they did, however, leave the track the same length, and it's now going to have even more banking and be comparable to Daytona and Talladega. They made no big secret in the press conference back in July when they announced this that the kind of racing they expect... That they generated on iRacing was going to be pack racing. The drivers were furious about it because they didn't want another super speedway type racetrack. They loved the old Atlanta. But they also challenged the fact that it would even race like a super speedway. However, we had Kurt Busch, Chris Busher, Ross Chastain take laps on Wednesday and Thursday at the Hampton, Georgia track. And they uh, pretty much, Devin, confirmed that what what everybody's going for. Right. So what were some of your impressions? And we're going to play each of a snippet of each of the driver's comments here in a moment. But Devin, your first impressions, first of the driver's comments, and then I'll ask you about what what a little bit we saw.
0: Well, the first impressions that I got from the drivers before we went out on the track and saw the cars out on the track was that there was a good indication that a lot of the drivers were kind of hinting at, or really they were just giving a good indication that, you know, it's going to definitely be probably be something like we have at Talladega and Daytona with a super speedway package and and pack racing. And that's what kind of they they kind of hinted at us because I remember Kurt saying, you know, hey, when we were in the draft, there was like a one second difference between. Correct. being in the draft at Atlanta and then not being in the draft. They ran 3160 being out of the draft and then 3060 in the draft. So I I think I think it's going it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the spring.
1: Well, it certainly will because it, and here's something that all three drivers, uh, Busher, Bush and Chastain talked about is that you are doing you are setting up conditions with a package that is still to be decided, although Atlanta is highly favored. And I don't even know that they – they wouldn't disclose to us what horsepower they tested there, Devin, but it is highly believed to be, and certainly the lap times would lead us to believe that they are running a package that's in the 500s as far as horsepower goes and with the high downforce on the spoiler, with the higher spoiler. So, Dan, you know how they talked about at Bristol for many years, it's like running a bunch of – fighter jets inside of a washing machine it's not going to be that same effect dr (laughs) elliot when they run at atlanta motor speedway but it's it's a much sharper set of turns because they're doing daytona and talladega pack racing potentially that's what all drivers hit it at but they're going to do it at a mile shorter track so what are some of the things dan and this is you none of us really having seen what it looks like but what you know dan from your mastery of daytona and talladega over the years what are some challenges for that
3: Well, I think the first challenge Doug would be what NASCAR finally settles on and that would be the challenge right now for anyone either testing or trying to figure out what's getting ready to happen because you don't know because NASCAR hadn't decided on both of those. Horsepower and or body package and how those are going to complement each other once you get the final set of rules. And until right. then, you can sit here and try to come up with what scenarios you think is going to be. But until all of that somewhat gets finalized, I don't think within, within bounds you're going to be able to even assume what these cars are going to do, how they're going to race, how they're going to perform until you get some more questions answered.
1: Right and, and a lot of those are going to get answered with a Daytona test that takes place uh, for uh, for multiple teams, organizational tests, so that's going to be a slew of drivers running in a pack, and that will be at the beginning of next week if you're hearing this now we 're recording on Friday, January seventh, one day after the media availability for the Cup series. Kurt Bush alluded to that said we're still we're still running different packages and trying to decide. What exactly is going to run? So what I want to do, you all, is play a snippet, Pretty much his opening uh, stanza that he said to the media when asked about his first impressions. And keep in mind, they're not only testing the package for the next-gen car. And, yes, the next-gen car that has independent rear suspension, suspension and the sequential shifter and the different aerodynamic components on it, the rear diffuser, that that kind of weird uh, a, a grate that's under the car that diffuses the air and makes it so cars potentially could race better with each other. They're not only testing that, but they're testing Goodyear tire combinations, trying to get a baseline which, running solo, they ran in the high 31s. As Devin said, 31.6 was a p- about Kurt Bush's time. I, I timed Ross Chastain at a 31.7 and a 31.9 by himself, different times. Uh, so 31 seconds basically is it. They picked up one second in the draft when they raced with each other in line. So here's what Kurt Busch said about Atlanta Motor Speedway and he was not dogging the track. Listen up. Yeah,
2: it uh, was exciting to go out on track and, and be in a different environment, but yet here at Atlanta Motor Speedway, it it's completely changed with the banking, the fresh asphalt. Uh, it, it's a it's a clean slate and the next gen car is a clean slate, and so yesterday was a, a big day with just excitement and anticipation of how the track would drive and, and how it would feel. And you know, there's, there's still a few spots out there, like, OK, there's Turn 3's character. It's there. Uh, but right now, with the grip level and the asphalt, um, it, it really is a fun situation of just trying to get the car as low as we can and as trimmed out as we can. And we're doing all these different speedway style adjustments at Atlanta Motor Speedway, a track we've never done those types of adjustments on. So it's just a balance of learning the, the nuances and the newness to it. And then, uh, once we got out there in a group last night with, um, Chastain and Busher, the pace picked up by over a second with having the cars draft together. So there's a lot of speed that you have by yourself. And then things were amplified way more than what we would, what we expected when we had just three cars drafting with each other. So you can imagine what 30 of them will do, 40 of them, um, you know, the, the high groove will come in, the middle groove and high groove will come in later once we have more cars running to keep that surface clean. Uh, it's just hard to go up there right now on a test session because that's where the rubber buildup will go and uh, the track hasn't quite, uh, you know, groomed itself in to make sure that we can go in all lanes just yet. So good, good first thumbs up for everything and. Uh, the transitions, you know, from the higher banking down onto the flat are, are just steeper and, and, and more exciting. Uh, but overall, the track did a great job, and uh, it's, it, it's, it, it's a task. It's an engineering marvel to bank a racetrack with this much banking and keep the turns this sharp and to have it as smooth as it is. Uh, they did a really good job.
1: So good compliments there from Kurt Busch about it, quote, being an engineering marvel there to make it be so banked and so tight in the turns. And just he just affirmed what we said a moment ago, guys, that they're doing Speedway-style adjustments on a car at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And when we say speedway, we mean super speedway style, trimming it out, getting it low to the ground, but making it not scrub the bottom of the racetrack. I also want to point out, if it sounded like Kurt was talking to us in stall number three, it actually, (laughs) bathroom stall number three, we're echoing because we were in the Cup Series garage. They had another event in the media center. So we were in an eerily empty garage And that's where the media availability was. You even heard the door slam in the back there at one time. So you'll hear more from Chris Buescher and Ross Chastain in a moment. But, Dan, you heard what Kurt Busch had to say there. Uh, Still a little bit of character in turn three, but otherwise super gripped out. Uh, Your impressions of some of his comments, maybe some things that I didn't take out of it.
3: Well, I think, you know, Kurt was one of the ones that came to Gresham and tested a lot at Gresham. Once the racetrack was opened and NASCAR did come and test there in the very, in the very early years, excuse me, but Kurt usually, he usually plays the cards that dealt him. And, and with that said, he doesn't say very much about the track. He just takes what he's got as a car and what he's got as a track and goes out and runs and then gives you his analysis of what's there. So I really didn't expect him to dog the track per se. And and I really felt that everything that he had to say was, was kind of right on target with what I had anticipated that surface to be And And with that, you know, new surface, you're gonna have a ton of grip, depending on the tire that they end up with, you know, is, is tire wire gonna be a big factor is the tire gonna fall off relatively quick? Is it is it going to be consistent through the runs? But as much grip as that track's got and what I've seen of tires in the past is the fact that you're you're gonna have some fall off relatively quick and tires are gonna be very crucial, uh, which leads to the fact that you're probably gonna be running wide open yep. for the first part of your of your race. And then as the tire falls off, then you're going to, you're going to be doing some dancing around and, and trying to keep the car under you. Yeah. And this is where the, the package is going to come in because we don't know how much spoiler yet you're going to get. And, and I'm sure that's what NASCAR is looking at is the drivers have to keep control of the cars.
1: That's a great point. You're making a tighter radius potentially in a big pack on a track that people aren't going to be used to racing on because no. now, if they find problems in these t- tires or they need to test it again, there's a potential, Devin, that there could be another Atlanta Motor Speedway test again, but there isn't one on the calendar. But, Dev, here's something else. Okay. That, that Ross Chastain said this track handling is going to matter. It's not going to be just uh, sip a cup of coffee while you hold to a one steering wheel. And we heard Kurt Busch, Devin, say that there will be tire fall-off because of the nature of the next-gen car. There's just more fall-off. Atlanta Motor Speedway, Devin, seemed to reconfigure its track with the 550-horsepower package in mind. And then NASCAR opened it up to it being 670 horsepower on every track except for the super speedways. So they they rebuilt itself based on the idea of one package, and then NASCAR did a reversal on the package from before. So it looks like they're leaning in now on keeping this a low-horsepower package. Do you think, Devin, that with the potential, as Dan said, of tire fall-off, that could break up the packs and create a problem, or does that make it better racing, you think?
0: Um, it'll, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting to see what decision NASCAR comes down with for this track. Cause as you said, you know, they were running all the simulations, they were doing it with the low downforce package, but you know, as the, even the track president said yesterday, they're going after that pack style racing yep. at Atlanta motor speedway with this repave. So I think they're probably going to end up trying to stick with that with that, you know, lower horsepower package. Cause you know, as Kirk Busch said yesterday, you know, you're going to have Daytona and Talladega style racing here at a mile and a half, but they're going to have to make decisions quicker and faster because obviously this is at a smaller track yeah. than Daytona and Talladega, but uh, you know, we'll see what decision they come down with, whatever's best for racing, but it, it'll be interesting to see what they come down with.
1: Uh, oh, absolutely. And look, here's the thing too. At Talladega, You could go to the back and ride in the back, and it would take you a long time to lose the draft and get lapped, right? At Atlanta, you've got one mile less to play with, and if the draft is as drastic as it is at Daytona and Talladega, which Ross Chastain, I believe it was, said, yeah, you're as good as the guy behind you. You're going to the back if you don't stay in the draft. You could get lapped pretty easily, and that, that could be interesting for people that are trying to play conservative. It also means there's less room to hide if you're one of the back marker cars that's just trying to stay out of the way. So a lot of stuff to consider here. But here's something else, Dano. I want to throw this at you. They have a wider, I'm not calling, I don't want to say skid pad, but they have paved deeper down into the infield in the front grass. That is not necessarily a racing groove, and that is not in play necessarily, Dan, if they come up with a double yellow line rule like they have at Daytona-Talladega where you're not allowed to advance your position below that line. But what Brandon Hutchison said after his availability when we were just kind of chatting with him is with that wide front straightaway, they're hoping that cars will fan out three, four, five wide coming to the start-finish line to really really make an exciting finish. And I'm thinking, Dan, that could be something exciting to see if it plays out that way. What do you think when you hear that?
3: I think that I believe that you're, you're going to have to have a double yellow line. I I can't see this kind of super speedway without the double yellow line. And yeah. I think that the restarts, if, if this is the strategy you're going to have for that, then the restarts and the finish are both going to be exciting. If you're allowed to go below, if they do indeed enact the, the double yellow line, if you're allowed to go there on the restarts and on the finishes, then yeah, this this is gonna add a lot to it. But I just I cannot picture that in my mind happening right now. Yeah. I, I can't I can't picture that.
1: I would think that if you have more room to get out of the way and wider turns at Daytona and Talladega and they have a double yellow line there, I would have trouble believing that with a tighter radius and really needing to be in line and in the right spot to make the correct approach at turn number one, that you're not going to want to be down on the bottom line. I mean, we saw testing yesterday, the way they enter turn one, you know, you have to be a little bit up the racetrack and then dive down into it. You don't, you don't enter turn one from down low. So uh, to, to allow people to get out of line like that and then funnel back into turn one would be really difficult, I think. Although quite exciting, at least for a while. All right, now the second driver, well, one of the the, the, the next driver we're going to play for you is Ross Chastain. Here were here was his opening salvo after the test, or after after the Wednesday day of testing and before he made laps on Thursday.
4: This is my first
1: true Goodyear
4: tire test at a repave, so. Uh, a lot for me to learn yesterday and and some nerves going on a fresh track like that it's um it really actually the cars were were closer than i thought um than i than i thought they would be for being the basically the first cars i know trucks and xfinity were on the day before but um we had grip especially in the low line um and throughout the day i kept inching up uh, for the second lane to just try to make sure we had a second lane for when we drafted and, and last night we were able to get all three cars out there and it's only three, it's not 40, but uh, we were able to follow each other, push each other at the end of the straightaway and just start to learn what the, what the aerodynamics of drafting here are going to be. It's super speedway style um, with the banking and, and the, the smoothness, uh, but the corners are, are tighter. We, we lost a mile from Daytona across the board around the whole track, so the corners are tighter, the straightaways are shorter, and um, that was the biggest thing for me was getting to the corner on entry, it feels like Daytona, but then you have to turn a lot sharper um, than we do at Daytona and Talladega. So um, it's going to be a, a bit of a mix.
1: All right, so Devin, imagine that you are especially a younger driver like, or a less experienced driver like Ross Chastain. He does have a couple full years under his belt. Imagine if you're a rookie like Austin Cindrick, You know, early season race there. Harrison Burton, early season race, right? And you and you go down Daytona. It feels like Daytona. You crank it into turn one. It's like you got to keep turning, got to keep turning to make the turn. And then you have a little tire fall off, right? Because the next gen car supposedly is chewing up tires more. Uh and, oh, oh. Yeah. By the way, Devin, you're in a pack. You know, you don't, you can't wash up the racetrack and catch the car. Uh, that sounds like quite a handful to me. Well, what are your impressions there of what Chastain said? With that, feels like Daytona, but then you got to turn like Atlanta, basically.
0: Well, it, it's definitely going to be be interesting with with this package and you know how how they drive them, especially going into the turns as you said with the tire fall off. You don't really see that at the super speedway, so it'll be extremely interesting because you can't you can't you can't in a pat in a super speedway race you can't just simply go up the track or anything or else you're going to cause a big wreck and all of that. And you know another thing as you guys were saying earlier about a double yellow line and I know I'm getting a little off topic or a little off topic here but i know no, brandon I hutchinson brandon hutchinson said yesterday about you know they're gonna they could they, they're gonna fan out like phoenix going down the front stretch but if you have a double yellow line rule in place and he wants and, and i know he wants pack racing and everything for this for the for the new repave but you can't you can't fan out and have a double yellow line it just doesn't work and also have pack racing it just it just won't work like that but going back on chastain though it it it's It's going to be interesting with the tire fall off, and yet again, we got to see what package NASCAR chooses for this track
1: oh for sure, and and I think it's going we have a small box i mean if we understand what everybody's saying correctly, a small box they're playing within as far as that package right it's they're only messing with super speedway variables. I don't think they're going to reverse course at Atlanta like they have on the majority of the other uh downforce tracks, if you will, and and open up the horsepower box. I I, I just doesn't seem like that would be at this point that would be counterintuitive to everything that they're trying. And by the way, Dan, if they opened up the horsepower box on a brand new track with high grip, they would be turning some electrifying speeds on 28 degrees of banking. If they had the same horsepower, Texas, that Texas will have in Atlanta, Dan, I mean, you would be looking at a new track record over there. Right. I mean, one hundred ninety seven miles an hour is what Jeff Bodine did. And probably 1997, where they run at about seven to eight hundred horsepower. Then now you have 28 degrees of banking. If if they had a more wider open engine, Dan, you they would probably be setting track records, right?
3: Absolutely, would be. But the thing about it is, is you know, you were and and I'm like Devin. I'm going to go back to uh, whether you have a double yellow line or not. You will not be able to play around. When you're pretty much running wide open with the package they propose to run, with the surface, with the grip, you're going to figure that that you will not be able to step out of the draft and jump back in it without causing the big one either. And and when you've got a groove, when when you really get a groove that your car is comfortable in, wherever that groove may be, and it may be up high. You may have a pack of cars that may run really good up high. You may have some cars that run really, really good down low, and you won't be able to run high. But whatever that groove is, you've got to pick wherever that is on the track for you and what yeah. works best for you. And then if your car doesn't work well in the groove that's going to be the fastest, then You got to adapt to that during the race and be able to get yourself to where you can be in be competitive with the rest of these cars running. And I really think it's going to come down to once the once the tire is set, once the package is set, once the rules are more finalized, uh, some crew chief is going to come along with the ideal scenario here and and really hit the combination exactly correct on what they need to do and whether whether they're sitting there running algorithms now or or whatever they're doing whether they're working on their ouija board it's going to come down to somebody is going to hit this deal right the nail right on the head and go to these tracks like atlanta where you've got a Pretty much completely new racetrack, new surface, got a lot of grip, got a whatever tire ends up being, and, and they're going to hit this combination and, and really be hard to outrun at this particular event, this yeah. first event of the season for Atlanta.
1: Well, it, uh, for sure, and and if you're able to – we saw a day at the Super Speedway races the past couple of years. If you're able to get up front and manipulate the air like the veteran plate or a Super Speedway racers are – they don't have the plate anymore uh, – but especially like a Denny Hamlin and a Joey Logano and a Brad Keselowski immediately come to mind where they are able to pied piper the front of that field – that that could still be a play at Atlanta. But I just have a feeling, especially that first race, it could be quite hectic. By the way, keep in mind that Trucks at Xfinity raced at, or tested at Atlanta with Goodyear tires on Monday and Tuesday of this week. And those are series that have Less experienced drivers, and so on and so forth. And while they don't have a quote next gen car, they are running more than likely a super speedway package at the, at those races. And so imagine that truck series race on the triple header weekend there at March 19th or so. That that's going to be quite uh, quite an interesting event to take in. All right, now here's what Chris Busher had to say. Uh, Busher, by the way, has never uh, won on a super speedway or anything like that, but he loves Atlanta. In fact, he said later in his availability. That his feelings were hurt when he found out it was getting repaid, but he knew it needed to happen. So Chris Busher here with his sentiments before Thursday's pr- practice slash test session.
5: Yeah, there's a a ton of new here. So um, you know it's probably not a not even fair to go comparing to the old Atlanta at this point. Uh, there's just so many variables in it, but uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun last night getting uh, just a handful of cars out there really fast, uh, like Atlanta really always is. Uh, you know, obviously not getting that, that huge fall off in speed right now with new asphalt, um, and, and probably won't for a little while. Uh, you know, pretty much wide open, uh, single car in the group runs. We're, we're starting to fight some handling. Um, at the same time, you know, with uh, this being a, a tire test, we're going through a lot of different tire options, size, uh, compounds, whatever it it may be, and so I don't know where we'll end up there. Uh, but different tires, we're, we're making pretty big swings uh, Swings in, in balance or um, or the ability to stay wide open and really uh, tandem up or, or you know pack up. I know there's only three of us, so it's not uh, it's not what we would we would expect for a super speedway style race or a mile and a half really, but uh, it's a good start. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to get on track this morning just due to uh, ah, man, I just
1: moisture
5: <laughs> up on uh, up on the track and uh, went out there first to today and uh, and about about wadded one up real quick.
1: Huh. I was supposed to about Rod Wad one up real quick. Uh, Ross Chastain alluded to that, guys, before I talk about Busher's comments on the tires. Uh, Busher went out on the track and almost had a moment, Devin, like Austin Dillon had at the Charlotte Test uh, a month or six weeks ago, whenever that was, where they were, the track was just a little bit moist, and, and we did have fog in the Atlanta area, Atlanta Metro, North Georgia, if you will, on Thursday morning, and he almost tore up what was a number six Roush Fenway Kozlowski racing Ford out there. So, uh, Devin, they were still drying the track when we got there. And that was pretty interesting to hear Busher say that as he was getting up to speed, he had trouble.
0: Yeah, I, I think it was interesting. And, you know, another thing, I don't think we've mentioned this yet today on the podcast, but another thing that Brandon Hutchinson, the Atlanta Motor Speedway's, uh, track president, um, the interesting thing he he always alluded to was that you know they want less downtime on the track and you know the, to make sure you know we get back to racing a lot quick quicker so he's uh, implemented you know like getting rid of weepers no more weepers on yeah. the track and all that but the, you know yeah there was there was there was kind of weird weather yesterday later in the afternoon it rained and then early in the morning it was foggy and kind of just damp outside but but yeah I mean. You especially don't want to be wrecking these new cars because there's still a lot of unknown. And actually, last night when I got home, I actually listened to uh, a radio interview Chris Buescher gave on Wednesday night, and he talked about the track and track and everything. And one of the interesting things he said is that you know he likes the, that that you know there's not really that that much downtime, but he. He says, you know, he likes the new track. He, you know, he's talking about how, you know, it, it needed a repave. Although I know he, I know he mentioned, you know, his feelings did get a little bit hurt, but you know, he didn't want the track coming up and all that stuff. So.
1: Well, right. And here's the deal. So Brandon Hutchison, just because you brought that, the executive vice president, GM of AMS, he came in after the drivers. And of the many things he got asked, including could the summer race ever become a night race, and he talked about the the pros and the cons of that. But he did uh, mention that one of the improvements was the layer under the top layer of asphalt. They have changed the compound, so it's a lot less likely, if not impossible, I mean, I don't want to say impossible, they said that about the Titanic sinking, okay, but it's a lot less likely they're going to get weepers coming up into the track, the, the groundwater that pushes up through the cracks of the track and makes it really hard to dry. With the porous surface that Atlanta Motor we have before, that certainly was a problem just because it was old pavement. Uh, so they they definitely worked on that the moisture that likely was the cause of busher's situation and delayed the testing on Thursday was ground was was in the air right it was foggy and just kind of you know just had that moisture hanging in the air so that that definitely could still delay things coming from above the ground but from under the ground that's what weepers are all right so one thing dan that busher mentioned later in his availability is they were even uh, working with the stagger of the tires which is something we don't hear about a lot for adjustments anymore but if you watch older cup broadcasts from the 80s and 90s they talk a lot more about stagger than are talked about in the 21st century so can dan can you explain what stagger is and what it does to a race car
3: stagger is just the difference the difference in the diameter of the right side tire versus the left side tire and if you just lay a cup over on its side you can imagine that one side of the cup is bigger than the other side. Okay, so sure. your right side tire is bigger than the other. So it actually helps the car turn is what it does. And and they're wanting to aid these cars in turning because it's like you said before, you've made a super speedway from two and a half mile or Talladega size down to a mile and a half. So you're gonna have a lot more difficulty making this car turn especially as you wear the tires and as the years go by and we know what the summer times are like here and then you get into a couple of winters that could have some adverse freezing weather. We don't know what that's going to do to the track surface. Uh, Therefore, we don't know how quickly the surface is going to change and as it does change, it's going to make it more difficult to make that car turn left as the track surface gets Uh, less sticky, less bite to it, and uh, some way or another, you're going to have to keep up with it with tire, making the tire sticky, but the more you make the tire sticky, the more fall-off you have, the slower the car gets, the more the tire wears. So, you've got a delicate balance here as we all know that it's going to be an issue, and that's why this race is going to be very important uh, for teams to this is one track that you may have to just take it one race at a time. And I don't see how NASCAR has got a package in play yet on what I feel like their concerns are going to be. And I don't see how you're going to get by without without having more tests at Atlanta because of the surface, because of the tire, and, and what you're trying to achieve here.
1: Well, right. It very well could be more later on, especially if they determine that the tires don't hold up because it's a very fine balance. You don't want it to be too hard to where the cars handle poorly, don't pass each other, but you don't want it to be too soft where the tire is wearing out too quickly or potentially blowing or cutting out there. So a lot of stuff to consider there uh, from the test. What we saw to the naked eye, Devin, the last thing I want to mention about the test and anything else you guys need to mention is we just saw single car runs and... We saw, you know, maybe 30 minutes worth or so, but maybe a little more of single car runs. There were times where there were multiple cars on the track, but they were not together. The tandem draft, drafting, whatever you want to call it, was done late in the day on Wednesday, and if they did it Thursday, it wasn't open to the media. The cars were on the bottom of the racetrack. Uh, Ross Chastain mentioned on Wednesday he was inching up and trying to find. The second groove, but uh, when they're trying to make a baseline to determine how the tires perform, they need to pretty much drive the track the same way. So they were running on the bottom line, right on the yellow line, or right on the white line, I should say, around the racetrack. Devin, did you notice anything else just to the naked eye that you found interesting out there? No, I
0: mean, not really. I mean, you pretty much covered everything there. But I kind of noticed, you know, kind of going into the turns, it seemed like they were kind of. Going in wide open, it seemed like, yeah. and it might have to do something with the package.
1: Well, right, exactly. They're, they're definitely they were, were very open about saying they were wide open the whole time. One of the photographers down there, who isn't quite as neck deep and following every X and O of racing that us three are, he said, "Gosh, this seems different to me. It seems like they're well, they're wide open." I was like, "You got it, Chief. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they're going yep. for." All the drivers said, and we noticed it ourselves. It is, burr. it is not, there is not that let off into turn one and three that you expect. So I, but that could change, you know, we didn't see what they were doing on a 30 lap tire run and we certainly didn't see it if they were in a pack and they're, they're probably going to have to crack that throttle at some point. So, um, so they're wide open. They're running yeah. the bottom line, but Kurt Bush felt very confident that the second line would work. Kurt Bush, who by the way, is a four-time Atlanta winner. And is a multiple time, or he's won on day, the Daytona 500, so he knows how to run plate races too, right? Uh Kurt Busch said he didn't think that they were going to run three wide very easily in the turns. And Dan, I thought I heard you saying something there.
3: Yeah, is the is the track size? Did it change any at all?
1: I, you know, I I don't want to say yes or no completely. If it did, it was minute. I think it's the same radius.
3: Okay, I, I didn't know if that changed any at all. Did they did they happen to say what the speeds were?
1: Well, they 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 were timing in the high thirty one seconds in the uh, single car runs, which which somebody when I wrote that on Twitter, they replied to me that it was about one hundred and eighty miles an hour. If you're doing that, so I uh, but I didn't actually do that. Well, we're
3: time, so. we are one point we're one point six six. Is that correct?
1: I thought it was 1.5 something. Let me see here. Hold on 1. a minute. I, I'm looking 5. to see.
3: Yeah, it. I keep getting on this 1.54.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought it was, around 1.5 something. Yeah. All
3: right. If you do the math on that at a 3160, that would be 175 and a half based on okay. the math on that. And, um, if you and that's without the draft, so you get an idea of of how fast these cars are running, and you've got to figure that with the with the new tire with the new pavement, this is gonna be your best scenarios as far as speed, so everything else to me, unless they come in with a softer tire is all downhill but um if you if you try to run a softer tire, you're right, fall-off is going to occur quicker, and the chances of tearing up a tire or maybe blowing out a tire, you just have to be careful in the tire tests what you do.
1: Yeah, for sure. They, they definitely were not uh, pu- pushing the limit as much as – maybe they would in a different scenario. So that's our cap on the tire test. Basically, it's a whole new Atlanta. That's what Track Prez Tra- Brandon Hutchison, and the three drivers said. That's what drivers were complaining about when they heard about the changes uh, six months ago or so. And here we are now getting ready for the season. And it's a, a 72 days, I think, away from the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500, March 20th at Atlanta Motor Speedway Triple Header weekend. And we're really less or just over a month away from the Daytona 500, about six weeks away from the Daytona 500. So the season is on the horizon here, and let's deal with some other items. Um, And we're not going to – I don't want to get too deep into the – certainly not the political aspect of this, but if anybody that follows racing has been on social media or any of the radio shows or podcasts this week, they have seen what's gone on in the last couple of weeks with the number 68 Xfinity Series team of Brandon Brown and his first win at Talladega last October – first career win the crowd was was training was chanting fjb and we know that what those initials mean and of course uh, Kelly Stavis said oh look they're saying let's go brandon uh, which she i think just misheard it i don't think that was a cover up of any kind that's just my opinion but uh, let's go brandon became this whole you know masking cheer for saying fjb right well lgb coin as Brandon Brown's team search for sponsors has emerged as a cryptocurrency token that just last week was announced as a full-season sponsor for the family-owned Brandon Brown team. And then NASCAR, so wait a second, we haven't approved that yet. To which Brandon Brown's team replied, yes, you have. And they'd even shared the email of approval from a race official who was pretty much giving the thumbs up on the paint scheme and saying they needed to change one or two things in the scheme that were nothing to do with the sponsor itself. And then NASCAR ultimately decided just a couple of days ago to actually vote down LGB coin as the sponsor, which prompted a big investor with them to say they're going to do a lawsuit because that fluctuated the stock, the prices of that particular cryptocurrency coin. So, team said, team thought yes, then was told no. After the announcement, NASCAR reportedly had met with the team back in Phoenix when they were first talking about the sponsor, and had told them that they can't have Let's Go Brandon on the car. They went with LGB coin, thinking that would be okay, and they got it sort of approved, and then turns out it wasn't fully approved. Dan, you have followed the sport for decades. You, I'm sure, have sure, been involved in paint scheme approvals at times, uh, when the melling racing days or whenever and you have seen multiple times uh, NASCAR well wield its power when they felt necessary for the good of the sport I guess so uh, give give me some of your thoughts here on on how this went down and whether you're surprised or outraged or not
3: <laughs> I'm not surprised at anything still much anymore I've just got one thing to say about it I wish that the uh, I've watched sports to get away from the political BS. And I, I wish that NASCAR would just stay out of all of the political, any of the political, I don't want to see it. I, 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 I do the sports to escape the reality of the world that we're living in. And I, I wish that we could keep the sport for the most part pure and simple. And I really don't have anything else to say about it. I'm just for the purity and and let's keep the political. It would be like getting into the middle of a religious controversy or religious, you know, you know, let's just keep it all out of it and enjoy the sport.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it it becomes pretty much and Devin. I want to get to your comment in the moment. Pretty much with the line that NASCAR drew was political sponsorships. But even further, because then there becomes this debate about what's political or not, and I'm not here to espouse any belief, but it seems like the line that NASCAR is drawing is when it's for or against candidates, right? For or against candidates or politicians themselves. So if it's pro-Trump or anti-Biden or vice versa, that seems to be the line, whereas some would argue being pro Black Lives Matter, you know, you could say or, you know, circled around some of the the, the George Florida Bubba Wallace situation circling around. They just announced a partnership with an LGBTQ plus organization in the Carolinas. Right. And some could say, oh, well, that's political. And it's really tough to draw the lines when it becomes, you know, more racial or gender based or sexuality based. It's really tough. And NASCAR, seems right here, is drawing the line and when it represents a candidate or not. But then it begs the question, of course, well, what happens when you invite the sitting president or a political candidate to the racetrack to say, gentlemen, start your engines, like what happened in 2020 with Trump at the Daytona 500. And, and do, you know it, It's really tough to navigate. And I think NASCAR, even though they gave at least a partial approval, or one person did, I think they decided they really didn't want that LGB deal to be a, more of a distraction than it's already going to be. Uh, Devin, I, I saw you lighting up there. Do you, got some, do you have some thoughts?
0: Well, I I do. I I agree with Dan's comments and especially, you know, you don't want to mix politics with sports because if you think about it, you know, as he said, you know, you're going to watch sports to escape from politics. And I know over the past couple of years in the sports landscape, it's it's kind of changed over the past, I'd say, like five, six years where politics have kind of started leaking into sports, whether it's National Football League, Major League Baseball or even NASCAR a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think politics should stay out of the sport. And actually, you know what? Now that more and more that I think about it, the political sponsorships maybe should kind of, you know, go away out of NASCAR because, you know, we're here to watch racing. We're not here to, you know, to focus on politics.
1: i why I yeah, can't
0: we all just enjoy
1: the race? Exactly. And, and, and see, generally I agree. Here's where I might disagree. is just that money is harder to come by in the sport right now. It is harder to come by. And when you have a small team that finally lands something, I, I mean, we, we've seen it over does. the years – I thought, we'd, I thought we'd done a lot to make this cheaper for everybody to come in and be able
3: to compete yeah. without having a lot of to money. tough to get money.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> they're trying to make it. Yeah, exactly. But look, hey, Brandon Brown's team, I mean, I'm not saying I, – I would just assume the whole political stuff not be a distraction either because it's so divisive. It's more divisive than liquor sponsorships, which used to be banned. It's more divisive than casino sponsorships, which used to not be allowed under certain specifications. Heck, it's more divisive than NASCAR being sponsored by Sprint and locking AT&T and Verizon out of deals that they'd already signed with race teams, right? Uh, because, you know, that, that's that's a whole other thing as well. It is uh, – when Verizon bought Autel and, and when AT&T bought Singular, those were deals that were already in place. But because the name of the company's changed, NASCAR said, Oh, you're not grandfathered in. And both Penske and Richard Childress Racing lost big-time money because of nascar's decision so what nascar says is that it chooses in favor of the entire sport and they're drawing a line here i've always been in favor of let people get whoever sponsor their race cars and leave them alone because it's so dang hard to get money and that's jobs and competitive race teams on the line Uh, the brandon brown race team has said they're scrambling now to find sponsorship one of the sponsors that they had larry's hard lemonade posted on facebook and said hey we kind of got shut out of the race team once this other sponsor came along so we love brandon we love the team but sorry we're we're moving on we're not coming back basically to them so they'll they'll pursue other nascar opportunities and i do wonder i sure hope for the sake of the sport that the 68 car stays on the racetrack now i, I do have a feeling that there'll probably be a way around it and somehow they'll figure out how to stay on but nonetheless tough hey, and dude, sticky I've, situation I've,
3: I've got an idea Let's hear it. Why don't we just why don't we just do the political cup series sponsored by the DNC and
1: RNC? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now that would be fun to see Republican and Democratic teams battle it out on the racetrack in a way they'd never be able to on a debate stage. I think that would be fun.
3: That would be, yep. That would be something else. I don't know that I would go there, but uh the Coliseum out there. Tell us about the Coliseum. What's happening with the Coliseum? Right.
1: Well, they've, they've, they've begun prepping that track for the, it's just a month away, the Bush-like clash there with a debut on track where people are racing in position for the next-gen race car. It's, what, February the 6th or right there the first week of February. And right there, um, j- you know, just around the Super Bowl, just before the Daytona 500, they've begun prepping the track. But there are rumblings in California with the Super Bowl is supposed to be hosted in Los Angeles. There are rumblings that the... um that they, that it will not be there, that, that there's a potential that the NFL is looking at contingency plans with the Omicron outbreak, that they, California may be locking down on the size of crowds or even having the events at all. And so if you lose the Super Bowl in California, which part of the reason of having the Bush clash at the L.A. Coliseum was to have some adjacency to the biggest sporting event in the United States, that really turns all that sideways. Right now, NASCAR is leaning in and promoting it, so there's no talk of the Bush clash not happening But certainly there is a bit of a question mark, or more so than there was just even last week. So that's basically where that stands. If it all goes off without a hitch, I think it could be potentially very good for the sport to be out there in a new market. And as I heard Doug Rice say the other day on PRN's Fast Talk show, if NASCAR pulls this off, it opens up the door for, as we've said on this podcast, racing all over the country in temporary racetracks and potentially internationally, too, where they don't have ready-built racetracks always for pavement stock cars. So that's basically where that stands. Um, and I, I sure hope it doesn't get changed because there's been a lot of hype around that. And the last thing we need is another change when they haven't even finalized the rules package. All right. A couple of silly season items here. First off, before we get to drivers, a little crew chief shift shifted around. Drew Blicken's Nerfers moved over to Stuart Haas racing, and he is going to be on Eric Almarola's number 10 car. Mike Bogarevich is going to be the one of the heads of competition there. And that opens up the crew chief door over at the number 34 front row motorsports for Michael McDowell. And that is being taken by Blake Harris, former car chief for Martin Truex Jr., who is married, by the way, to Fox Sports's Caitlin Vincy. And Vincy, by the way, revealed this week that she just survived a terrible car wreck where she'd been airlifted to the hospital. But she's recovering OK and getting ready for the season. So throw that in there. Course, just uh, big time thoughts over to Caitlin Vinci for having gone through that. And you kind of don't realize that's going on when you're not watching the shows and not plugged in, right? An- another situation too with crew chiefs Luke Lambert, who had been Chris Bush's Roush Fenway Kozlowski racing crew chief goes over to the Xfinity series to junior motorsports to chief over for Noah Gregson in the number 9 team and the reason there was a vacancy on the number 9 is because Dave Ellens that had led that team for several years has moved up to the Cup series to go over to Richard Petty Motorsports and or sorry let me say that right Petty GMS Racing and be Eric Jones's number 43 Crew chief. So there are a couple of uh, moves as things shifted around over there in the Cup Series and, and Xfinity Series garage. And now some driver news here, ready for this, and I, I do want to have you all weigh in. This could be a very savvy move made by Stuart Haas Racing. So right after I announced their competition moves, they bring in free agent driver who had been a Cup Series driver for three years, Ryan Priest, as a reserve driver. Driver with the outbreak of COVID, they they wanted to have somebody on hand in case any of their four starting guys or or Riley Herbst of the Xfinity Series were to come down with the virus and miss a race. So Priest is going to run the X, a simulator for them. He's also going to have a handful of Cup Series races backed by them, I guess, with another organization, kind of like they've done with Rick Ware in the past. He's also going to have a handful of Xfinity races for a team to be determined, and he's going to run. Uh, over a half dozen races for David Gilliland Racing in the Truck Series, which is a Ford team. Keep in mind, last year at Nashville, Ryan Priest won a David Gilliland Racing Team, or uh, a race at National Super Speedway there, for in the number 17 truck. This is similar, guys, to what Alex Bowman did with Hendrick Motorsports a few years ago, right before Dale Jr. retired, and Bowman became a full-time driver with them. And so I wonder, David Kupka, is Stuart Haas not only battling COVID here or, or being precautious about COVID, preparing, but are they preparing for the future when Kevin Harvick's contract runs out in twenty twenty three or if they decide to move on from Eric Almarola or et cetera, Devin?
0: Well I want to touch on two things with this move that Stuart Haas Racing's making. So the first one, as you said with COVID and being reserve driver, I think that's a very, very smart idea that Stuart Haas Racing signed Ryan Priest as a reserve driver. He has Cup Series experience and in case you know Harvick or Custer or Almirola or Briscoe gets down with COVID, or even Riley Herbst in the Xfinity Series. You can come in and replace them. And the interesting thing here, I think about it, is that I haven't really seen any, seen any other teams sign a reserve driver in case in case yeah. of you know somebody catches COVID because you know COVID is currently exploding in the United States right now. Right. So I think this is a very very smart and bold move for Stuart Haas Racing. And the second thing I want to touch on, and I know you touched on it right as you ended that second question, was that th- this might be a possibility that they're setting up Ryan Priest to possibly come in Stuart Haas Racing, be a full-time, probably cup driver in the next probably couple of years, possibly. Maybe he'll replace Eric Almirola. Or, as you said, he might replace Kevin Harvick. Because think about it. I, one thing I'm going to say about Eric Almarola is that Right now they're kind of keeping him. He still has the Smithfield sponsorship, but you know, that spon- Smithfield sponsorship goes away. I feel like there's going to be an open slot at Stewart-Haas yep. Racing.
1: And that that sponsorship almost didn't come back and Almirola alluded to when he wanted New Hampshire and made the playoffs. That really helped his future there. So, no, and you also have Cole Custer who seems to be safe just because of his His dad being in leadership at Stuart Haas Racing and Chase Briscoe, who's only going into his second year. But if Stuart Haas feels like there's a depression, and I mean depression in performance, with any of the three drivers that they expect to be returning... Or if Kevin Harvick does decide not to continue past the 2023 season, they have someone ready to fill in or to step in full-time. And Ryan Priest, I think, is widely respected, Dan Elliott, as a driver who can haul the mail, and he just didn't get a lot of results with a a mid-grade team, JTG Daugherty Racing. At times, I think, became his own worst enemy trying to get too much out of the race car, Dan. So, I mean, what do you think of this move of Ryan Priest Instead of opting to be maybe a full-time truck series driver, becoming a reserve Cup Series driver and getting a guaranteed amount of races amongst the top three series?
3: Well, it's kind of like um, okay, I'm sitting here thinking would I do this or not? I, I, I don't know that I would the, the idea of signing a reserve driver may be the smartest thing you've ever done or could be not so smart but um, I, I think right now, yeah, having somebody sitting on the sideline, but it, it's almost to me like they they couldn't come up with enough permanent sponsorship to to get a complete ride together. So you're sharing. It, it sounds like something Ford would do, and sharing a driver among different teams to where that mm. you have a place for him, and in in case something comes along. But you know you're kind of you're kind of first in line for Harvick unless somebody better comes along because
1: well and that's the thing. you don't
3: have anything you don't have anything permanent and and Ryan Priest it ties his hands probably in some respect of what now he could get from another team if indeed something else came along better for him.
1: It, it that, that is true. It seems to me that it's a very Stuart Haas-friendly situation, so that's why I say it's savvy for their part. But Ryan Priest, I don't think, is going to be prevented from going and doing some of the other things he likes to do, which is go run his modified. I, yeah, I think but if, still- you,
3: if you commit, you, you want to be in a cup car. You, you don't, you're, you're trying to get into this deal to where that you're in a cup car. And, and I see all of this kind of watering that down so to speak and and i'm just thinking out loud um i, I just i just see this watering it down to worry that uh you're tied up to all this other you're committed to all this other and i don't know how the contract reads or whether or not he can but i would um, he, i would be ventured to guess that he's tied up pretty well to stewart
1: yeah he's gonna have to be at the track every weekend i mean obviously if, if he's Sim, a reserve yeah. driver He's going to have to be at the track every weekend. But here's what it does for him is it keeps him. It's sort of like when he ran that part-time schedule for Gibbs, although he was not at the racetrack every weekend. It gives him an opportunity. He's going to have good equipment. He's not running for a backmarker teams if Stuart Haas is back in the effort of giving an A engine in one of their race cars to Rick Ware to run him on a Sunday race. right? He's going to have good equipment there. He's going to have likely good equipment in the Xfinity Series. And David Gilliland has good pieces in the Truck Series, too, and he won with them. So it gives him a chance to go and show that he can still do it without having to fully commit himself to a small team just to stay relevant and go run 17th place in the Xfinity Series every week. I think it's tough. I mean, there, there, this is a pro and con situation, but Ryan Priest is pushing 30, if not already 30. If Kevin Harvick retires, which, I mean, he's represented by Kevin Harvick Incorporated's management agency, right, by the way. If Kevin Harvick retires after the 2023 season, they have a potential fill-in, but also who knows what drivers are available. Maybe Kyle Busch is available, right, with M&Ms going away. Maybe Kyle Busch becomes available. Maybe Someone we've not even thought of maybe becomes available, and it'll be hard for Stuart Haas to pass up. On an opportunity to make a big splash when they couldn't do so with Kyle Larson, and we talked about that last week. So, I think for Priest, there's good and bad with this, but it is better than being nowhere at all, which is certainly to me what looked like was going to happen until this announcement came out of the ether. So,
3: yeah, but with taking. the Gen Seven car, you're going to need lots of Gen Seven experience to to you. You just need a lot of seat time in that car. And and that's why these people testing this car right now, to me, would be more valuable than other drivers at this point in time.
1: Uh, that, that's fair. That is fair. Well, he's going to have a lot of uh, a lot of different testing and simulation time in that, not to mention the races he gets to run, too. All right, now, speaking of a, a driver who I thought was going to be on the sidelines, you know, Ryan Newman hadn't signed anywhere. I don't think he's expected to become anybody's reserve, reserve driver, though, who knows? Stuart Haas might have uh, started a trend there. But Matt DiBenedetto. Didn't seem to have anything lined up. And then out of the blue, on Thursday, signs with the Rackley War Racing Team. That's sponsored by Rackley Roofing. Campaigns that number 25 truck. And he's going to run a full-time Camping World Truck Series season for there, for them. And this is a team that, despite even having Josh Berry and William Byron and Brett Moffitt run some races, not to mention past Truck Series winner Timothy Peters, they only managed one top 10 in the 2021 season they really struggled out there and now they have Matt Benedetto, who's come close to winning some cup races but is also I think drawn some criticism after a lackluster time with the Wood Brothers team. David Kupka is Matt Benedetto going ahead and settling down for a truck series ride to be a full-time and running almost two dozen races for that team is is that a good move for him?
0: I, I think I think I think this will be a good move for him you know he 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 uh, his time at the Wood Brothers I wouldn't say was great but I wouldn't say was horrible last year obviously was not really that good of a season for Matt DeBenedetto but I think that for his career I think him going down to the truck series is I think it's going to be a good move I mean look at John Hunter Nemechek for instance he when he went down to the truck series uh, you know although although you know Matt DeBenedetto is a lot older than John Hunter Nemechek is but I think overall this is going to be a good move for Matt DeBenedetto's career
1: um I think I think it's it's better than doing nothing. If he goes on the sidelines for a year, and uh, the same problems that people have with him before are just going to be amplified except now he'll be less relevant. <laughs> I mean, if he goes out and and does and punches above his weight in the trucks, I, it's to me guys, if I'm a racer, I'm better racing than not racing. Right? You know, Ty Dillon proved last year with a very very limited schedule. He squeezed out what he could, and and didn't, and frankly, did not impress in anything he did last year. But he managed to parlay that into getting some sponsorship, and now he's going to get to run full time in the Cup Series in the number forty four for Petty GMS Racing, right? Or forty two. I'm sorry, forty two. I I I think that's a, you know I think that Matt DiBenedetto is hoping he could become Ty Dillon or Alex Bowman instead of becoming irrelevant and yeah yeah I'm, I, I agree options. with
0: that yeah
1: he also has dan a little bit of image rebranding to do is he's kind of leaned in in a similar way that the brandon brown deal did he sort of leaned in on some political things and he also a lot of people think didn't handle himself very well when he found out he wasn't going to be retained in the number 21 car uh he, he kind of threw his team under the bus and made some comments there dan and i think this is a time for him to maybe rebuild and rebrand and come as the underdog that 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 people like that would root for again, instead of kind of having that asterisk next to him.
3: Well, I agree with you. You're gonna have to keep your name out there if you're gonna become, if you're gonna remain relevant. You're gonna have to keep your name out there, and then that does bring up the important question of the year 2022. Is you really need to make something happen in the year 2022, or you will be irrelevant.
1: Right, and and there are too many drivers out there in the pipeline. I mean, look, Harrison Burton didn't have a place to go at Gibbs. Guess where he is? Wood Brothers now. There are too many drivers out there coming up. Let's not forget you know, Corey Heim, right, in the Toyota pipeline. Drew Dollar in the Toyota pipeline. You've got Chandler Smith. Those are just I mean, those are all three Georgia drivers that all drive for Toyota, right? And, and and then you're looking for, where do we put Ryan Priest? He's still pretty decent. And and, and whoever else is is out there that is chomping at the bit to get in the Cup Series. Noah Gregson decided, hey, I can't get a full-time Cup ride, but I'll take a part-time one and still stay in the Xfinity Series. And he's going to get to do that, running a majority of, or running almost half the Cup Series schedule for college racing next year. And on top of what he's doing for Junior Motorsports, Matt DiBenedetto can't afford to sit on the sidelines when there are already less seats than there are good drivers for the Cup Series. There are less good seats than there are good drivers, basically. So he wants to get back up to race a Cup and finally win a race. Well, maybe he could do that and finally win a Truck Series race. And that that offers no guarantees either, because we saw Tate (laughs) Fogelman, Spencer Gallagher, Kaz Grala, these guys got win truck and Xfinity Series races, and it, and it doesn't guarantee anything. But being on the sidelines guarantees even less. So that is that with that. So we've covered a good bit of Silly Season stuff. We talked in-depth about the AMS test and, of course, the Brandon Brown situation. And that pretty much does it for the docket here. So I'll come to you, Dan. Any parting shots as we get ready to wrap up this robust five-to-go episode 160?
3: No, we've still got um... – the questions of covid and and coming up for your uh, first um i call it first event of the season out in california at coliseum and you know you've got quite a number of questions i still have not heard very much from any of the teams on whether their supply chain is getting better on components and how the gen 7 car is firing along there's still not been very much change in, in that respect. And then with the fact that you did have the testing at Atlanta was good because it brought you something out of that other than the car itself, the car being very, very important, but the racetrack itself also now. And, and we've got other things that we're beginning to look at that's opening up. So instead of having the new car to talk about, now we're beginning to have other topics whether it be sponsorship, driver changes, whether it be racetracks and changes, whether it be whatever tire, whatever package, we're beginning to now open up conversation on on other topics. And, and we're, we're going to be able to be less repeating on what we're hearing of the normal stuff. And, and we're getting a little bit more into the, the, the nuts and bolts, I call it, of of getting ready for the season to begin and and i'm looking forward to that because uh there's other things other than the gen 7 car i know but but that is is definitely the big story of the year because it is such a different race car from what you're used to seeing in the past and Uh, it really really is um, and
1: and and devin it's a beautiful looking car too isn't it i mean i i know that's really subjective but I, and maybe not very journalistic of me to say, but my gosh, it is. Uh, that's a good looking ride. Yes, I agree. It's a it's a good
0: looking ride. And um, and my parting shot for the for the day is uh, going back onto Chris Buescher because the thought kind of flew out of my head earlier when we were talking about it. But I was listening to a uh, interview he gave on uh, Sirius XM. Yeah. And the interesting thing he was talking about, well, it came up with like two things was one that the Daytona test is going to kind of say a lot of things about this Atlanta test that they have yes. upcoming or the Atlanta test they just finished. And also another thing is is that they were talking about setups for the next gen car and how and this is more kind of more of a given than anything, but kind of the interesting thing is is that teams are just trying to figure out the next gen car instead of tweaking something here and there to make the car go faster.
1: A lot bigger box to play in, at least right now, until they refine some things, which opens the door for if you have an upstart crew chief and a smaller team. And and by the way, the smaller teams really, the smaller teams really feel like this next gen car gives them a shot, Devin. So if they hit on something before Hendrick does, which is unlikely, but if they do, they really could go right to the front because what it what it's become now is it's a puzzle game, and how, who puts the puzzle together the best. And what different ways can you arrange the same pieces that everybody has to go faster? It, with, with the variables wide open, we saw the car tomorrow now, 14, 15 years ago, that Hendrick was the fastest out of the gate on that thing. We saw in 2019, in the debut of this new package, that Joe Gibbs racing at Toyota really hammered it home, but then Hendrick roared back, and it kind of left Ford behind as some different changes happened along. That you bring up a good point. Is what small team potentially? Colleg Racing, Trackhouse Racing, Live Fast Motorsports, even Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing, which is rebuilding. And and Busher talked a little bit about the changes in the shop there yesterday. Uh, how his, you know, basically the biggest changes are the workflow and the organization of the shop. How does all that materialize on the racetrack? And I, as much as we look forward to the Bush Clash of the Daytona 500, nah, man, let's get to Vegas. Or let's go to the first Atlanta race, which will be a super speedway looking race. But let's get a little bit down the line, Martinsville, Bristol, and see who's able to to pull out in front. And I, I do. We, can we all agree that there will be some first time winners this year?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think so. Maybe. And we keep in mind there there are sophomore drivers, for instance, like a Chase Briscoe or a guy that's really his sophomore year with a more competitive team ross chastain that are winless and then you have you know colleague hitting the floor or you know hitting the ground running and although justin haley's won a race there, colleague and colleagues won a cup race before you have potential there with daniel hemrick and some others to be able to make some noise so gonna be fun to watch out there and uh, and see who's able to come out front so boys thank you so much for joining today uh keep in mind we have our five to go racing facebook page where we post the new episodes at Where well, these are also live on wsbradio.com and goprn.com. cheers to eric von hessler who is still still a part of the show and everything it's just been tough to ma- mix uh, mix and match scheduling there he and we're recording while his show is still on the air by the way the daily von hessler Doctrine from nine to noon on 95.5 WSB. So, guys, Happy New Year to you, and thank you very much. Hope your resolutions are still intact, Dan.
3: <laughs> I've done blown most of them.
1: Uh, there you go. Well, hey, it's if, if, in, if inhaling was your resolution, you've already blown it out. So there you go. <laughs> All right, man. So, for Dan and for Devin, I'm Doug Turnbull. Thank you so much for listening to the 5 to Go Racing Podcast.